Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. You're listening to an instrumental version of All I Want for Christmas is You, co-written by Mariah Carey and our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Walter Afanasiev. The 13-time Grammy nominee and two-time winner co-wrote and co-produced additional Mariah Carey hits such as the number one singles Can't Let Go, My All, Hero, and One Sweet Day. Additionally, he produced some of the biggest movie soundtrack songs of all time, including Beauty and the Beast, A Whole New World, and My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. Walter will join us in a few moments to tell us about writing his timeless holiday classic, as well as other highlights from his remarkable career. Part one. Well, Paul, Feliz Navidad. Uh, hold on. Google Translate. Oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, too. I thought you had some bilingual people in your household. I do. I'm just not one of them. I think the, uh, it's, isn't it sad that the five-year-olds in your home <laughs> yes, totally. are, are better at communicating yeah. than you are? No, I know what Feliz Navidad means. And, and, we, and we interviewed Jose Feliciano. I mean, we talked about the song. And, we did. Yeah. We did. Um, but this is uh, the final episode of 2020 for Songcraft, um, which is hard to believe. Very hard to believe. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, another Songcraft year in the books, which is uh, incredible. And one like no other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A year that I think we're all just fine saying goodbye to. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, so this is our Christmas episode, our holiday episode. We do it every year. Um, Normally, for our holiday episode, we interview several different writers about their kind of best-known Christmas song. Um, this year, we're doing things a little differently. We're interviewing a writer who is part of one of probably the best-known modern-day Christmas classics. We're going to talk about that song. We're going to talk about some of the non-holiday stuff that he's done because mm-hmm. he's just done so much incredible stuff. Um, so it's sort of the reverse of what we typically do. But because I refuse to you know, play by the rules and, and <laughs> stick with the theme... Uh, I also have to mention a, another Christmas song that someone we all know is a part of. And, you know, Paul, you were so kind to give me a, a nice shout out and accolades on our last episode about my Grammy nomination. That was that was a real kindness of me. That right. was, was that was generous. Yeah. That was, you know, and I got to say, man, you are so pro. Like, I, I feel like even when I listen to this show, it's like we like each other. It, you know? it does come across, doesn't it? Yeah. If people, yeah. people would have no idea the great lengths I go to to maintain distance from you. <laughs> I'm literally in another part of the building right now. <laughs> That's true. You are. And, uh, and I remember that I was going to say something about you as a pretense of mentioning my Grammy nomination again and thanking you for giving me a shout out. Oh, I remember what it was. Um, <laughs> you, my friend, are a writer 
on this great holiday song called Heaven and Earth by Leslie Odom Jr. And that just came out this season. Um, And Leslie Odom Jr. is a big deal. I mean, this guy was in Hamilton, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, just a a fantastic artist. Um, Great writer, singer, actor, you know, covers tons tons of genres. The the guy's able to do so much. And I was really grateful to, to play a part in that song, Heaven and Earth. Um, my friend uh, Darren Feemster produced the record and um, gave me the opportunity to jump in, and uh, it's a beautiful song. I mean, I, 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 if I say so myself, you know, but <laughs> it is a beautiful song. Yeah, You're right, um, and and I think that it's super cool that uh, you know you are a very active uh, songwriter, and to have um, you know you had like Light of the World with Lauren Daigle, which has kind of become a, a bit of a, a holiday standard. And you're, you know, if you're not careful, you're going to be a songcraft uh, guest one of these days, talking about all the all the songs you've written. So, well, I'm hoping I can like just write another dozen Christmas songs and just have that kind of be my identity. Yeah, I want to be the like Christmas that. guy, the holiday guy. Um, I just need a niche, and I feel like that could maybe be it. I don't yeah, know. I think I think if you get a. a corn cob pipe and a button nose that'd be a good place to start <laughs> and uh just kind of take it from there but uh well, i'm but, headed toward the je- belly like a bowl full of jelly i, <laughs> I get that part down well and i've got the santa beard a few more years it'll be white enough so you know i'm sure we could come up with a theme but no congratulations man on oh, thank uh, you. on on that that's very cool um you know it's always cool to uh to kind of catch up with writers and and we're going to do something a little special today before uh, we jump into the main interview which is catch up with Jack Tempchin, uh, one of our friends from an early episode of Songcraft. Jack, of course, uh, wrote Peaceful, Easy Feeling and, you know, bunch already, of, gone. already Gone, Bunch of Eagles hits, um, Slow Dancing, Sway Into the Music was another song he wrote, not an Eagles song, but another hit of his, um, great songwriter. And uh, Jack's actually got some uh, some Christmas stuff going on himself, not to be outdone by you, Mr. Duncan, Jack, too. Yeah, well is uh, tossed his hat into the holiday song (laughs) ring. So uh, before we hop into the main interview, we want to just kind of catch up with Jack for a minute. Part two. Hey, Jack, how's it going? Great. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. Happy holidays. Yeah, you too. Well, you know, uh, you've been on the show before. You were uh, one of the early guests on Songcraft, and we got to talk all about your songwriting career and the many decades of work that you've done. But we wanted to have you on for a brief segment today because you've actually got uh, a new project happening that involves Christmas and gingerbread, which are two of my favorite things. (laughs) So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, last year, my wife and I decided to only put edible things on the Christmas tree, uh, which I thought was a great idea. So she made a bunch of gingerbread men, and I was sitting there, and I'll write a song about anything I'm looking at, like my (laughs) cup of coffee or, you know, I'm strumming the guitar, and I started writing about the gingerbread man. Uh, And then she reminded me, she said, you know, that story about the gingerbread man, she didn't really like the ending because, you know, no matter how fast he is or smart he is, he always gets eaten by the fox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were, she started writing the song with me, which we never do, but uh, we wrote the song together and we changed the ending so that the gingerbread man no longer has to get eaten by the fox. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I recorded it and then uh, a friend of mine, Savannah Filia, she's a, a singer too and makes her own videos. 
and she animates them with her own drawings. So I asked her to make a video of Gingerbread Man, and she did, and it just came out so great, I wanted to share it with everybody. Rode across a river on a fox's back The fox planned to have a four-midnight snack He said, Mr. Fox, if you turn me loose Tell you where you can find a nice fat goose Uh, Jack, are you aware of the protests from the American United Legion of Foxes over this song? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fox is still clever. He's still the smartest, you know. Uh, but just this one time, the gingerbread man manages to, to squeak by, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny because <laughs> one of the things we talk about with folks on the show, especially when writing uh, Christmas songs is the process of of writing a holiday song um you know is is probably a bit daunting because you've got the canon you've sort of got the you know your your silent nights your la you know you've got your 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 stuff that's you know it's it's always going to be there right and then so if you're writing a christmas song it's got to kind of stand up next to the classics but then the other big challenge is um what do you write about that hasn't already been written about a gazillion times? Cause you got the mistletoe, you got the holly, you got the manger, you got the angels, you know, there's the stuff that, uh, you know, we've, it's all been said. And I, I listened to this song and I thought, well, you know what? I have never heard a song about a gingerbread man who moves to Paris and uh, starts a jazz band. <laughs> so you have, you have achieved it, something yeah. that, that no one else has. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it wasn't, uh, it, we were sitting around, it was Christmas, there's a Christmas tree, but I wasn't, we weren't trying to write a Christmas song, which is, you know, possibly why, because just like you said, uh, it's all been done, you know. Right, right. But then we played it for people, and I played it at a show, and everybody really liked it. I thought, oh yeah, well... And and we really like it, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it's fun. Now you you mentioned that you and your wife kind of just you know it just evolved organically. You're hanging out, you're doing the Christmas tree, and this fun you know kind of thing starts developing. But you said you guys uh, haven't really you know you don't really typically write songs together. So is this kind of a is this is this actually the first song you and your wife have written together? We've written about two or three songs together, uh, you know, in all our years and. Uh, so it's very unusual. Yeah. It actually, uh, listening to the song, I, I felt sort of echoes of even like Jerry Reed's Guitar Man, where you've got this this narrative story about this character. And, and it makes me think, you know, somewhere out there, there's a must be a lot of musicians playing in bands that are escaping something or, you know, that, that have left their town. It's almost like a, you know, that's the, right. you know that's the, right. there's the guitar man out there. It's just somewhere in that little town he's playing. You, you may run up on him. You may find him. He's out there playing music. And I, I like the idea there's a gingerbread man out there doing it. Maybe that's where the muffin <laughs> yeah, man yeah. is, you know. <laughs> right. And who knows what he's done before? Who knows where he came from, you know? Yeah. These well, drifting musicians, you can, you can never tell. We just wanted to have a, a great, exciting life, uh, you know, for him. Yeah. Uh, gingerbreadman.fun. Instead of .com, there's one called .fun. 
Right. And if you go to gingerbreadman.fun, you can see the video. And you've actually spun this off not just into a song and a video, but actually a children's book as well, right? That's right. We've made it into a book, and it's on Amazon. Uh, just look up Gingerbread Man, and it's the one <clears throat> with uh, Jack and Cheryl Tempshin. And and there's also a, a family gingerbread recipe that's a part of all this, too, correct? Yes. Uh, there was a gingerbread cookie recipe. Uh, well, my wife Cheryl's great-grandmother had this recipe, and it came down to the family. And that's what she used to make gingerbread uh, cookies. My wife had to change it a little bit to make the gingerbread man so it wouldn't crumble, you know, but it's basically the same recipe, and they're both quite delicious. Nice. So do your tree decorations even survive the holiday, or <laughs> are they going to be gone in four or five mostly, days? Uh, yeah, mostly, uh, my granddaughter came over. Once in a while, after a few days, that one of the gingerbread men, the hole in it would uh, kind of, dissolved and then the gingerbread man would fall off the tree and then she would eat it you know so that was perfect and then i would sneak some myself from time to time so uh yeah i think if my wife and i did an edible tree uh we'd have to replace everything like every three days yes yeah which is the good part you know It's, it's kind of a fun part i'm doing something else i'd like to mention which is um i've got a new podcast oh fantastic and it's called three jacks podcast and it's on apple podcast and spotify and basically i play three of the of my songs mostly things that no one's ever heard and i talk about them so it's only 10 or 12 minutes long well uh jack it's great to to catch up with you and and do this little check-in and find out what you got going on uh excited to hear about the podcast love the uh gingerbread man song it is completely uh stuck in my head it's it's super catchy uh so i know folks will will love uh listen to that and uh you know, it's almost like that gingerbread man is already gone. That's a little. He's oh, already gone. A little little Jack Tempchin <laughs> joke there. Man. Yes, I like it. I like it. I had a peaceful, oh, easy cool. feeling until you threw that joke out, man. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. yeah. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much, Jack. It was, it was great to uh, to catch up with you. Thank you guys so much. It was fun. Got himself a mustache. Put on some pants. Became a jazz musician in Paris, France Every night with a real hot band Play a little song called The Gingerbread Man Well, great to catch up with our buddy Jack Timpson, and uh, I'm going to continue to press him for that gingerbread recipe. Uh, I'm going to need that in my life. Um, 
But uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, anyone who's listening, if you're a past Songcraft guest and you want to check in with us again and let us know what you're doing, we love talking to to our new friends that we've had these chats with. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Paul, I had actually um, specifically contacted Jack regarding the gingerbread um, because of the aforementioned uh, belly like a bowl full of jelly situation. (laughs) Your wife had asked me to kind of intervene in that. So uh, I think, unfortunately for you, um, the New Year's resolutions begin now. Well, if anyone has a celery recipe, send that in. <laughs> Part three. 13-time Grammy nominee and two-time winner Walter Afanasiev is best known for his collaborative songwriting and production partnership with Mariah Carey that yielded hit singles such as Can't Let Go, Dream Lover, Hero, Without You, Anytime You Need a Friend, Butterfly, My All, and One Sweet Day, a duet with Boys to Men that was named ASCAP Song of the Year. It hit number one in December of 1995 and stayed there for 16 weeks, a record that remained unbroken for more than two decades. Their All I Want for Christmas is You was released in 1994 and has since become a holiday standard. It hit number one on Billboard's pop chart for the first time in 2019, giving Walter and Mariah the world record for the longest period of time between a song's original release and its arrival at the top of the chart. In addition to his success with Carrie, Afanasiev carved out a formidable reputation as a go-to producer of hit movie songs. After co-writing and co-producing the Gladys Knight single License to Kill from the James Bond film of the same name, he went on to produce Beauty and the Beast, A Whole New World from Aladdin, Even If My Heart Would Break from The Bodyguard, and My Heart Will Go On from Titanic, which became the best-selling single in the world for 1998. Additionally, he produced Someday from The Hunchback of Notre Dame and the Academy Award-nominated Go the Distance from Hercules. Other hits from the Walter Afanasiev songbook include Can You Stop the Rain, a number one R&B single for Peebo Bryson that earned a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Song, Missing You Now, a number one adult contemporary hit for Michael Bolton, If You Go Away, a top 20 single for New Kids on the Block, Savage Garden's number one pop single, I Knew I Loved You, and Ricky Martin's massive global hit, She Bangs. The long list of additional artists Walter has written and produced music for includes Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Luther Vandross, Destiny's Child, Kenny G, Andrea Bocelli, Johnny Mathis, Kenny Loggins, Barbara Streisand, Christina Aguilera, Mark Anthony, Babyface, and Josh Groban. Walter, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, in the past, we've done holiday episodes where we connect with various writers of seasonal favorites, and we include short segments with each of them in a single episode, but we are doing things a little different this year. You wrote one of the true modern-day holiday standards, which we want to hear all about, but you've also done so many other interesting things that we don't want to miss the chance you to ask you about those, too. So we're going to start with Christmas on this episode and then work our way around to some of the other details of your career. You and Mariah Carey had a long and fruitful songwriting and production partnership that we'll discuss in a bit, and it includes All I Want for Christmas is You. And I cannot think of a holiday song from the last 30 years that has become more of a classic.
Christmas time, uh, I know for Mariah, uh, is a very special time. Uh, for 26 years now, it's, um, and it's because of that song, All I Want for Christmas is You. We were, uh, we were sort of in a very, very strong, uh, very meaningful writing production partnership uh, for a couple of years uh, at the time, and it, it started to get very, very um, successful. I mean, she was by far one of the, if not still, you know, top five artists with so many number ones. Um, and come 1994-ish, 1994 was around, I think, after her two albums, maybe it was after three albums, but Certainly, it wasn't at that time uh, something an artist just starting out like she was to do a Christmas album. It wasn't. It wasn't the thing you do back then. Mm-hmm. It's the thing you do now because of all the successful Christmas albums, starting with Mariah Carey, Michael Bublé, <laughs> Josh Groban, all the Pentatonics, that yeah. you can get really, really great success out of a Christmas album. But back then, it was usually something an artist would do. Kind of maybe towards the end of their you know career, because um, you don't want to end up in the Christmas bin in the back of Tower Records on sale <laughs> for three ninety nine. You know, right? So, uh, so it was kind of a bold move, and Columbia said, "Yeah, go for it. Let's let's get a Christmas album going." So Mariah, who is, uh, I mean, she loves Christmas like nobody else. It's uh, her favorite holiday. And she said, "Why don't we write a few songs? Let's let's write three songs. It's a good good number." And the way I think of things is, I said to her, "Look, Mariah, there's kind of like three groups of Christmas standards, Christmas songs that people listen to. There's that fun, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Jingle Bells, that kind of a Christmas song, right? Uplifting, usually up tempo." Why don't we write one like that? And then I go, there's another uh, style of Christmas songs that people love, and that's the more religious kind of Noel, Hark to Herald Angels, you know, that kind of a song. Why don't we write a beautiful song with, you know, Jesus and the religious uh, undertone? So we wrote the song Jesus Born on This Day. And then I go, why don't we do a, a beautiful kind of more like I'll Be Home for Christmas, a romantic sort of like that post during World War II, post World War II, um, kind of a song. So we wrote Miss You Most at Christmas. And we were kind of saying, yeah, uh, we're such good writers. We're all, we've written so many beautiful songs together. No problem there. So I remember her and Tommy, her husband, they had this beautiful house they rented and they had a piano and they uh, asked me to come to New York Um and I went, and that's how I did it. I used to always go to New York to write with Mariah. Right. Um, either I would live in their house uh, as you know a house guest, and we would write, or I would stay in a hotel and get together with her in studios uh, in Manhattan. We would write that way. This particular time, I was staying in this home as a guest, and we started to write. Fairly, uh, fairly simple. In this particular case, I remember playing like more of a rock piano. Thing. Mm. It was more like a boogie woogie, like boom button, 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 that kind of a thing, and it was like you know, boom, and kind of going for that old school rock Christmas, you know, 
feel. Right. Yeah. And if you listen to her uh, her melody of the verse, it's kind of reminiscent of what my bass line was going mm. on. Yeah. I don't wanna. Yeah. So it, it so it was kind of a cool thing, but very simple uh, pattern after the idea that we're going to do something, which if you think about everyone, listen to all your famous Christmas songs. They're pretty much never uh, at the moment style of music, like the <laughs> flavor of the month or, you know, we weren't trying to write whatever that flavor of the month was. Mariah wasn't trying to get on the radio with some more of a hip hop or R&B or pop, although Miss You Most of Christmas was a pretty pop song. So it, it, if you think about it, all these songs have one thing in common. They're really old school, either, you know, rocking around the Christmas tree. You know, there's like Brenda Lee. There's all these like really cool rock style songs, you know, the Phil Spector songs or whatever. Right. And I think our mind was just kind of naturally taken to that style mm. and that sort of genre of, of a song. So, And that's how we kind of came up with this really cool thing. And then I always put in my, uh, I'll always try to get a little more off the beaten path. I, I, I always like to stick a, a cooler chord or, you know, uh, something that you wouldn't really always hear. That's kind of what we used to do is that she, I would always try to impress her <laughs> with some chord changes that weren't like what you would expect. Right. So if you listen to All I Want for Christmas, there's a few of these chords here and there that achieve that. It's not just your regular, you know, uh, rock and roll chord progression. It's It's got these really cool diminished and minor sixth and all these kind of interesting things that we, um, I played and she loved. Yeah. No different than any of our other songs that we've ever written together, which was always the same thing. Very, yeah. very uh chemically kind of uh connected uh uh really really wonderful um process of writing with her <laughs> so yeah. basically after this uh, initial idea of sorts came out uh for all I want for christmas is you um it's, this is how i remember it is that i then always did what i do which is after writing uh, ideas. I would go back home to San Francisco, where I lived, and go into my studio and start putting a track together. Right. So, all I want for Christmas is you was it, it, it was it's all sequ it's all synthesizer sequence computer. You know, there's there's no live musicians on that song except for vocals. <laughs> so, I went home and I started you know picking out sounds and my drum sounds, my bass sound, my all my little parts and sequenced the keyboard piano part and, you know, came up with that little bell intro, kind of came up with that tubular bell slower verse in the beginning of the song. And and I remember set, trying to second guess her timing. Like, hmm. I know uh, it might have even have been my idea to come up with that slow, sort of like conducted, not in tempo I don't want to lie. You know, that whole intro yeah. kind of verse. Yeah. Um, and then the tempo starts. And then the song starts chugging along after that. So it was like a hit or miss. I didn't know if she was going to love it or like it or whatever. But I put this track together, and I actually thought we were going to re-record it with real live musicians. 
I think they might have even tried it, but it just didn't come out the same. You know, the that computerized versions kind of kind of made a little more sense to use. Hmm. That's that's amazing to me because when I when I hear that record, like it to me, it has echoes of that Phil Spector wall of sound, and I'm picturing like this room full of like there's two bass players <laughs> and there's like you know all this stuff, and so you're saying that the that the record of All I Want for Christmas is You that that we all know is basically not a room full of musicians that you you created all that all those tracks. Yeah, but here's the thing. I wanted to create that wall of sound, Phil Spector, mm. yeah. because some of this album, if you you know, know the album, and Mariah loved, you know, uh, Ronnie Spector, Phil Spector, that old school sound that, you know, I mean, she was a, you know, East Coast girl who grew up with her Christmas songs, favorite Christmas songs. A lot of it is gospel, you know, influenced because of yeah. the way she loved gospel music and very church you know, the way she did Silent Night. There's really just such a potpourri of beautiful styles on that album. But when we went for this one, the up-tempo of the th three original songs, it was absolutely Phil Spector in my head, mm -hmm. in her mind. Let's do that big wall of sound thing with the tubular bells and the timpanis and the, and the you know, Barry Sachs and the whole, you know, like as if you had 20 guys in the room. Yeah. Um Probably thought maybe we were going to have 20 guys in the room at one point later on in New York. But in the meantime, I would always put it into my computer and just kind of do a demo, if you will, or, you know, the kind of like a sketch of it. And it just kind of stuck. This cool, you know, little track that I did mimicking that wall of sound. Yeah. So yeah, and wow. she, she, she and I kept it. And then, you know, the, the vocals came later. The lyrics were written over the course of a, I, I can't remember exactly how long it took, but I remember, she, you know, a couple of phone calls. She would call me and go, hey, she'd call me Waldo. Hey, Waldo, what do you think of this? Reindeer click. Can you use the word click in a song? And I would, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, like she, 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 you know, she was really careful and caring always about her lyrics. Around the same time that Mariah's Christmas album came out, uh, Kenny G released his multi-platinum selling Miracles, the holiday album, which I think is last I checked certified like eight times platinum, huge record. And you co-wrote the title track on that record as well as uh, the Hanukkah song. And then you guys teamed up again to write Eternal Light, a Hanukkah song on Kenny G's 1999 album, Faith, a holiday album. So that means... You're perhaps the only songwriter with massive sales of both Christmas and Hanukkah songs, to his credit. Um, and, you know, once that happened, we kind of see, like, you produce Babyface's Christmas album and you're writing holiday songs like A Lovely Way to Spend Christmas, which was on Kristen Chenoweth's Home on Christmas Day album in 2008. And, you know, I'm curious, when, you, when you're involved in, in songs that are that huge with Mariah and, and Kenny, do you suddenly find, like, Okay, everyone's clamoring like we gotta we gotta write with Walter because we're doing Christmas stuff and he's like the holiday song guy now. Well, you know, interestingly enough, um, my phone isn't ringing off the hook from people wanting to write Christmas songs. That's for sure. I mean, I haven't written a Christmas song. I mean, the last time I remember probably writing a good Christmas song was for that little kid Bianca Ryan, uh, hmm. which is probably one of my favorite Christmas songs I've ever been a part of. Um, it's called Why Couldn't It Be Christmas Every Day? 
And beyond, for those for those folks out there who don't know, Bianca Ryan was the nine year old who won the very first America's Got Talent competition. Mm-hmm. Right. But Ke- yeah, Kenny. I mean, Kenny G. Uh, you know, that was an amazing time for somebody who is an instrumentalist, and to do this Christmas project that did so well for 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 him. Yeah. Um, he happens to be, yeah, he's of the Jewish faith. So he said, I, I can't just do that. Let's put a you know Hanukkah thing on there. And it's really easy to write songs, for me at least, because I'm Russian. And, uh, you know, I'm genuinely, you know, I come from a very depressed, you know, uh, you know, the Russians. I mean, you know, winter and, oh, you know, Volga <laughs> boatmen. And, you know, we're, right. you know, when you hear Russian composers, man, you've, you know, it's like, Hide the razor blades. Um, <laughs> so, so it's kind of easy to write that minor, very, very, you know, sad uh, song for me. It's you know, hmm. so yeah. And Kenny, you know, Kenny's Kenny's the instrumental king of Christmas, and that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I wish more people would would want to have something Christmassy to do with me. I mean, I, <laughs> I put it out there every. Uh, I always tell everybody this really quick story, and it, it, it's a David Foster story. But anyway, I ended up going to his house where his studio was, and he was working on this Christmas stuff for Michael Bublé. And kind of like just like a joke, friend to a friend, I go, hey, David, why don't we write a song for this? And David turns around and just without skipping a beat, he goes, no, man, you can't write any more original songs for Christmas. You wrote the last one, bro. And that's it. The cannon is closed. Right. And I said, I, what do you mean? He goes, no, man, it's a waste of time. Nobody's ever, ever going to get another big Christmas song. After, you know, that it's, it's done. You, all I want for Christmas is the last one. I go, I don't, I don't accept that. Like, I can't even do another success. Like, you're telling me I won't have any more Christmas songs uh, or you won't ever have. You wrote some of the best, you know, like... And I go, you know what? I don't accept that. So I tell everybody, keep writing. Keep writing mm. Christmas songs. Get those Christmas songs, original Christmas songs, because you never know. You know, you mentioned you know, your, your Russian background and Russian heritage, and, and I understand that you were raised in Brazil by Russian parents. I, I'd like to know what kind of music you're, you're hearing in that kind of environment growing up that kind of inspired you to, to become a writer and musician yourself. If you really love doing something, I don't care if it's basketball or, you know, uh, playing video games. That's a good example. But I happened, I didn't have video games. I didn't have basketball or anything. I had music somehow in my system. You know, uh, uh, I, my father would play classical music all the time in the house. So I was listening to Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff and, you know, all the Russian composers and beautiful Chopin and Schubert and, you know, everything that, you know, my favorite piece of music I remember growing up was uh, Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade. And my parents had the album LP of Scheherazade. And I remember the cover of the album had this beautiful woman in a see-through veil. And she was like nude underneath this veil. And I was like, oh my God, what a beautiful picture. And I would put on this Scheherazade and just just listen to it for hours and hours and hours every day, you know, when I was a little kid. So, so for me, the lazy thing, the 
the the thing that I could do best is something that came easy to me, and it was a lot of it was because I was so lazy. Like I don't want to go to I don't want to go to work and do something I don't like doing. I just want to do something that's just really easy for me. Uh, so that was why, it's, you know, music uh, is something that I do. Yeah. I remember when I was, you know, we moved from Brazil to San Francisco when I was four and a half, five years old. 1962, 1963, 1964, I remember my parents bought a little white transistor sort of a AM radio. And there was a station in, in San Francisco called KFRC. And uh, I was this little kid on the bed listening to KFRC. I didn't speak English or anything. And the song She Loves You, Yeah, came on by the Beatles. And when I heard that song, that's it. I knew what mm. I was going to do. I, I have no other moment of my life so important than that. And I, I actually, you know, thought I, I was going to try to get into the Beatles. I remember it's a little kid fantasy of mine. It's like <laughs> Paul McCartney, John Lennon, we're going to knock on my door. Walter, we want you to be in the band. Come on. You know, and it's like, great. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. started playing piano when I was three because I just love it, man. You know, yeah, it's like Tiger yeah. Woods started swinging a golf club. What, how old was he? Yeah. And he's the best in the world. I'm not saying I'm the best in the world, but something that comes really naturally and and fits your chemistry and, and coordination and your like it, it makes you it makes you cry when mm. when you hear music and it makes you happy and love comes out of your heart towards somebody when you hear a song. You know, it's like yeah. such a special thing that we have hearing music and making music, especially. By the mid-80s, I mean, you started appearing as a keyboardist on albums like Whitney Houston's self-titled debut and Aretha Franklin's Who's Zoomin' Who. But then you began emerging not just as somebody playing music, but somebody writing music. You had a, a song on Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling album, a couple cuts on Kenny G's Duotones record. Um, talk about how you kind of got those opportunities to go from playing music as a as a keyboardist to then writing music and, and having people record your songs? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think all of us have been in a situation where um, you're there to fulfill one thing, but it ends up bringing out another thing in, in some kind of a way. Like, I'll give you an example. So when I was... Um, in, uh, it wasn't like I was employed by, but I, I was working for uh, this wonderful record producer, songwriter, musician, Narda Michael Walden. Sure. And he was, he was the gentleman who produced and wrote for the Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin, all of the pr projects that you just uh, mentioned. And also, by the way, was the one who was the duo tones producer who, who, got us into the room for the first time together with Kenny G way back yeah. when. So I was his keyboard player. And as a result of being a keyboard player, and in those days, the keyboard meant synthesizer, meant MIDI came out, meant sequencing came out. So a keyboard player like I was, was the guy who started doing everything from synth bass lines to keyboard parts to drum parts to everything. But it ended up being something that you couldn't deny that I was adding more than just 
being a musician. I was adding arrangement, production, and then eventually asked to be a co-writer and eventually writing things that I would submit to these folks to see if they like it. And they would go, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, right. Start off with Kenny G. Kind of As soon as I started playing and Kenny was in, sitting next to me, he's like, bro, man, you're so good. Why don't we write? So he mm-hmm. and I, wow. a gentleman named Preston Glass, started writing a song, Don't Make Me Wait for Love. Oh, my God. Kenny was over the moon. Um, that's how he and I conjoined in our chemical sort of wonderment of years and years and years of being, you know, partners in all of the songs he and I were writing and producing. how I ended up kind of like not just always being in that one little place. I, I you know, kind of like uh, evolved and was noticed finally by the right folks. And it's always a very, very lucky thing that happens to people. It's not a predictable thing, but, you know, uh, part of part of it is always luck and being in the right moment at the right time. Well, in 1989, you, Narada Michael Walden, and Jeffrey Cohen wrote the theme song of the James Bond film License to Kill, which was sung by Gladys Knight. And not only were you a writer, but you also produced the record with Walden before going on solo to produce a handful of other projects that year with artists including Eddie Murphy, Clarence Clemens, and others. So we're really seeing Walter, the, the writer, and Walter, the producer, kind of happening at the same time. And I'm just sort of curious about how you sort of embodied both of those roles and how you see them both kind of fitting into to what you do as a musician overall. You know, a guy like Narda Michael Walden at that time of his career was very, very busy. He was uh, almost... Like he was on top of his game so much that he had like way too many projects for one man to do by himself. He had a relationship with Clive Davis over at Arista Records. Um, so his his A artist was, no question, Whitney Houston. But so while he was really, really on that project, he had his other artists, uh, Dionne Warwick or uh, Lionel Richie or... Uh, Eddie Murphy or Clarence Clemens or, you know, somebody else who was a Kenny G kind of in the in the waiting room or over there or in the B studio. And he would, like, like he would say, Walter, why don't you go, you know, help me out here. I can't do everything. But one of my greatest feathers in my cap, my, my sincere, like, pride is that I get to be one of the songwriters of a James Bond song. Like, that's... Yeah. Yeah. crazy to me <laughs> you know when it happened it happened kind of fast and again it happened because of circumstances that prevailed Narda Michael Walden who I was working for being a bit overwhelmed and a, kind of busy uh, they needed uh, a song for this James Bond movie coming out called License to Kill and they didn't come to me hey Walter will you write a song for-? no it was like Narda uh, started this idea, and then he goes, Walter, what do you think, man? Help me write this, you know? And I was like, okay, let's write it. And I started playing my stuff, and he was like, yeah. And Jeffrey Cohen, let's help me write the lyric. Once I get my sights on you, I got a license to kill. And you know I 
you know, to be in the company of that that kind of, you know, I mean, come on, Doctor No, you know, uh, from Russia with love, you only live twice. Diamonds are forever. All the, you know, from Duran Duran, you know, view to a kill. Are you kidding me? Like it was the most <laughs> unbelievable opportunity to be now. One of those guys. I'm in the club. In 1990, you received your first Grammy nomination, which was for Best Instrumental Performance for the song Going Home, which you wrote with Kenny G. But that was also the year that you produced one song in the debut album for Mariah Carey. And that song, of course, was Love Takes Time, which became a number one single. Um, For her next album, Emotions, however, you and Mariah co-wrote and co-produced four songs together, including the hit single Can't Let Go. Talk a bit about your writing partnership with Mariah in those early days. The lucky break that I got, finally, the Mariah Carey break. I was hired to produce a song uh, for her first album where we did not write together on that album, but it was certainly something I was a part of. Um, and it was the same same set of circumstances. Uh, Tommy Matola and Sony Music came to Narda Michael Walden to knock on his door to say, you're this really successful producer and you're somebody we want you to work on this new singer, artist of ours, Mariah Carey. And I remember Narda was like, oh, okay. But it wasn't uh, Whitney Houston. Nobody knew who she was. So the same kind of thing happened. He goes, Walter, why don't you go and do some tracks for this girl, see what happens. And, And that's what happened is that Tommy Matola and Mariah said, well, who's doing these tracks? You know, who's doing uh, the music tracks? And they said, well, everybody at the studio would say, well, this guy Walter is the guy who's doing all this for Narda. And Tommy took notice and he said, hey, man, if you're the guy doing all this music, we thought Narda was the guy doing all this music. Hmm. So why are we giving Narda the work when we could just give it to you? <laughs> so yeah. I produced uh, Love Takes Time, which was uh, her second number one song from the album. And we just started a relationship because of Tommy Matola, And he put us together uh, and he said, let's see how, how you guys do. You know, he felt something in our um, sort of writing chemistry and so forth. And sure enough, man, we started writing and it was magical. Uh, we wrote a lot of songs, a lot of really great songs, a lot of big hits for her. Well, by the early 90s, you were producing Kenny G, Celine Dion, Michael Bolton, and Peebo Bryson, for whom you co-wrote and produced Can You Stop the Rain? That was a number one R&B hit that earned a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Song. But this was the period you were also becoming the go-to guy for film soundtracks. You were brought in to produce the title cut from Disney's Beauty and the Beast, which earned Grammy nominations for Record of the Year and Album of the Year, as well as to co-produce the Aladdin soundtrack with Alan Menken and Tim Rice, including A Whole New World, which earned you a Grammy nomination for Record of the Year. You know, though you weren't a writer on those particular movie songs, the producer has so much influence over how the final versions of a song sounds. Talk about how you approached those massive Disney projects from a creative standpoint in collaboration with the song's composers. Well, uh, those the Disney projects that were 
uh, I'm so grateful that I got to do uh, that, came out of uh, my friendship at the time and my first sort of experience with a gentleman by the name of Jay Landers, uh, who's uh, currently right now one of the, in my opinion, one of the best A&R minds and executive producer minds, also a very gifted songwriter. But he uh, was in the, in that in that area in that time frame was also working with Columbia Records Sony Music and kind of was given a couple of projects that he then took and had to make a decision how do I do this as an A&R guy and one of his artists that he was working on was a singer named Peebo Bryson now Peebo Bryson as wonderful and great and successful as those records are that he sang Beauty and the Beast and A Whole New World, he wasn't your household name. You know, nobody really knew a lot about Peebo Bryson. So he was, what I'm going to say, he wasn't, you know, Michael Jackson strong or, you know, he wasn't one of those super uber successful artists. He was, they were trying to, you know, get him to be that, but it wasn't, it wasn't who he was. So Consequently, he had this idea, uh, and along with a gentleman named Chris Montan, who was the music uh, supervisor producer for the Disney films, the animated films. So when Beauty and the Beast was uh, offered to Columbia Records, they said, well, why don't we use this guy? Maybe we can help him in his career. We'll use this guy, Peebo Bryson, to sing. And... For duet, they came up with the idea of this young Canadian French girl that nobody knew who, who she was either, Celine Dion. So I was, you know, kind of a, a staff um, producer at that time, and I was the guy who was very, you know, I was kind of doing a lot of really cool work, very successful at the time. So he came to me, Jay, uh, along with Chris Montana and Disney, along with Sony Music, and they said, why don't we do this, but we don't have a we don't have a lot of money. Um, we got to do it kind of quick. So the idea is to take a song that's in the film that's already something we, we the audience, have heard. In this case, it was the teapot singing to her little teacup, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, about this story called Beauty and the Beast. And tell us all this time. It was, I think it was like... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the 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 woman who starred in uh, Murder She Wrote hey, Angela Lansbury, uh, right? Yeah, Angela Lansbury. Yeah, singing to this <laughs> little kid. So they say, "Hey, man." So here's the here's the here's the thing. They're they're so they're doing this orchestral kind of you know Broadway version in the film, but we want to make it into a, like a pop version at the end during the credits, and we want to make these two singers of ours uh, have a have a song that gets on the radio. So a gentleman named Robbie Buchanan uh, did this like little sort of a demo of it, kind of, uh, I remember. And then Jay asked me if I would take it further, but we can't use a real orchestra. We don't want to do anything. What, what, what can you do? So I literally arranged and played again like I do. All, everything you hear is all on a computer by me.
uh, and that worked really, really well. And then Chris Montan at Disney, they said, "Hey, man, if it did, if it worked so well the first time, let's do it again, man. We have this other movie called Aladdin, and it's a song similar that the, you know, kind of kid on a magic carpet sings to this Jasmine, the, this princess during the movie, and everybody knows the song already. Let's do a pop version at the end of the movie that we could put on the radio. Again, they they weren't after." getting the Madonnas or the, you know, the top, you know, tier celebrities. They they couldn't do that. So they said, why don't we get Peebo, the same guy who did Beauty and the Beast. And it was the same thing. I took this arrangement and did my thing on a computer and then put their voices on and trying to emulate an orchestra, time, t- trying to put strings that aren't real strings and timpani rolls that aren't real timpani rolls and, you know, just a real, real sort of a classical, but with a drum beat, trying to get that pop-sounding record out. And it was the 90s, and it was really cool for that kind of sound, sounding song. And I kind of was started getting known for that. So. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no, or where to go. Or say we're wrong, they dream it. Let's talk a bit more about your work with Mariah Carey. In addition to producing Dream Lover and a cover of Bad Fingers Without You on her 1993 Music Box album, the two of you also wrote and produced five songs together, including the number one hit, Hero. And then a hero comes along with the strength to By this point, you guys had a couple of albums worth of experience together to really hone your process. Talk about the nuts and bolts of how you and Mariah worked as you created new music together. In our in our partnership, the way it happened is that is that we were really good at writing together. Um, the chemistry was always like I'd start playing something on the piano, she would immediately react to it by singing something. Uh, it's a kind of a back and forth process. Like she was really, really gifted as a, a lyric writer. Lyrics usually came a little bit later, but in an immediate sense, she would come up with this, the, the beautiful melodies that she would have in her songs. So it was a very, very cool kind of a, I always say like a ping pong game. I hit my little chords over to her and then she starts coming up with her little melody back over to me, which causes me to go, oh, that's cool. Let me give you some more chords over to her. And then she would go, oh, I like that too. And, uh, so we kind of do that. You know, she she wasn't uh, uh, like, she wasn't like a, a lot of top liner 
like a, a lot of top line writers today use sort of the, you know, it's almost like a a songwriting handbook. You know, they'll go, oh, there's the, you know the easy the easy lyrics. You know, let's yeah. let's write the song in five minutes. I, I I go to writing sessions with people who are top line writers and you know famous writers, but they want to get it done. Boom. You know, before you leave in an hour, the song yeah. has to be finished. And I'm I'm not of that school of thought. I you know I I love the fact that you know people who are writing a good song, they might start start off with uh, scrambled eggs as the title, and then it ends up later on being yesterday. You right, know, or exactly. you know how long does it take Paul Simon to write uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water? I mean, how long does it take Joni Mitchell to write? You know, it's right. like some of the most insane, amazing songwriters and songs of all time. You can't tell me they were written in five, ten minutes. Maybe some were. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody? No. Right. I mean. <laughs> you can't even listen to that in five minutes. <laughs> right. Well, Mariah's follow-up album, Daydream, was another monster hit that earned Grammy nominations for Best Pop Album and Album of the Year. And the two of you co-wrote six songs on that release, including One Sweet Day, a duet with Boys to Men that stayed at number one on the Billboard pop chart for 16 weeks. I mean, that's that's basically a third of a year. Um, and that was named ASCAP Song of the Year. What can you tell us about writing that now classic hit? How that song came about was really just at the time of Mariah's musical sort of uh, just trying to you know get a certain song done once in a while. She started to have uh, this friendship with uh, Wanye and, and the, the Boys to Men sound. And all of that stuff was kind of like circling in our atmosphere at the time. And she had this idea to do uh, a song that she and I were writing and finished writing, actually. Um, and again, Mariah's lyric and her musical um, story was about, you know, it's it's not a happy song. It's a sad song about dying and being in heaven. And it was all based around her love for... Um, someone in her family who passed away or uh, was, uh, I think, very ill at the time. And it was a very poignant song. And my thing was, you know, we wrote it together. I did this track and she loved it. But then we started doing this idea of, why don't we do a duet with Boys to Men? They're like so huge right now. I mean, huge. I mean, I'll make love to you, end of the road. I mean, come on. That's, yeah. You can't get yeah. bigger than that. So so because of their friendship with Mariah, they said, yeah, let's do it. Now, in the song, when you hear it, uh, there's this one line, I'll see you in heaven. There's this little line that they sing. Um, and it was a contribution that the boys to men gave to the song. And when you see the writing credits, it says, you know, Mariah, myself, and then it has the the the, the names of the boys and in, in boys to men, um, and it's and it's because you know they contributed to the to one of the little uh, lines and the lyrics of the song, and we uh, obviously all share in the songwriting credit. Bulk of it though was you know Mariah and I, like always.
Man, you just never know. You put something out and then it just does what it does. You put out a, an idea, a, a My Heart Will Go On, that I thought was a boring as hell song, had no inclination in my life imagination that that was going to be a single and a hit for Celine. Like, it was, what, really? Every night in my... I mean, come on. <laughs> like, so, but but you do something and you take a chance and they put it out and then, wow, like, Titanic, okay. <laughs> Near, I got to tell you right now, the moral of all of my stories, the, the, the point to all of what I'm saying is that it's all about the song. It's, mm-hmm. it's never about politics or payola or, you know, uh, controversy. or it's, No, it's because of a, a really, really good song comes in and touches people and causes someone who sang that song or wrote that song, you know, causes them fame. And hopefully fortune, you know? Yeah. Well, there's so many other collaborations we could talk about. You collaborated with the guys in Savage Garden to write and produce their number one hit, I Knew I Loved You. Uh, Of course, you collaborated with Desmond Child and Robbie Draco Rasa on She Bangs, which was a massive global hit in the early 2000s. Um, But one of the collaborations that catches my eye is something more recent. Uh, In 2018, you co-produced five songs on Barbara Streisand's album Walls. Um, And that title track is one that you wrote with Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who are songwriting legends now in their 90s. Now, you know, you have worked with all of these different artists and even these huge behind the scenes people like Desmond Child and Diane Warren and, and David Foster. But the Bergmans are really kind of a link to that golden era of writing timeless standards. And I would love to hear more about that collaboration. Uh, well, usually it's like uh, most of the time a songwriter like myself writes with a lyricist who will write the lyric after I write the music or, you know, have a, a melody. And, but sometimes, and this is like in the case of Elton John, Bernie Taupin, uh, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein, there's people who will write a lyric and then give it to the composer who then takes that lyric and writes a melody to it. Um, Alan and Marilyn would write lyrics, and I got a lyric uh, given to me called Walls. And it was during this very, very contentious, very, you know, Barbara Streisand is a very um, strong, liberal, wonderful, very, very proud Democrat who was, she was just having a hard time with Donald Trump as our president. And she wanted to put out an album of her feelings, 
Um, and it was during this whole horrible, you know, build the wall and, you know, keep all, everyone out of, out of our country and so forth. So she loved this lyric. Uh, and I got it. And they said, can you please write the music to this? And I was like, okay. So when you start reading a lyric, um, you know, it's it's just a lyric. I mean, I, it's like reading a letter or, or an email or, you know, a text, right? How are you, How is your brain going to come up with music to that? So right. it was a really hard thing. I kept trying and trying. Finally, I literally gave up. And I wrote... Alan and Marilyn, and I copied Jay Landers, the executive producer, and I said, guys, I'm having a problem with this. I'm really, really sorry. Nothing's coming out of my head. Uh, please, you know, please forgive me. Uh, and they said, okay, don't worry about it. And I'll never forget, I was literally taking a shower, and what I do is I brush my teeth in the shower. So I'm like always thinking, I'm just brushing my teeth, and I was like thinking of the lyric, of the lyric, and it's like, all of a sudden, there, there's the melody. Walls, da 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 And I started putting this melody, and I, oh my God, uh, I ran to the computer wet, and I said, stop, don't give it to anyone else. I have it. I got the melody. I got the melody. And I <laughs> did this little demo, and I sent it to them, and they all loved it. And... Brick by brick, they build them, but it seems to me by brick they build them where they shouldn't be we should be building bridges to a better day where no walls would stand in the way but that's wow. how it happens it's just natural sometimes in the shower sometimes when you're driving a lot of times uh, i'll have my ideas driving in my car a lot of times it's hanging out with somebody you're writing with, and that's how it happens, the Mariah Carey songs. Sometimes it's, you know, I didn't write it, but I'll do it, you know? So Yeah. Well, beyond All I Want for Christmas is You, I know our guests have enjoyed hearing about many of the incredible things you've done throughout your career, and we've really just scratched the surface today. And, and you know, to answer the question of what's the biggest song in your catalog or the biggest song you've worked on, I mean, you, you're talking about songs like Beauty and the Beast, The Whole New World, One Sweet Day, Hero, My Heart Will Go On, um, you know, but there's nothing like writing a Christmas hit that keeps coming back over and over again every year. You know, and I don't, I don't mean to be crass and talking about, you know, the financial part of it, but do you have some sense over whether All I Want for Christmas is You is actually your most lucrative song to date? Oh, yeah, by far. Yeah. Um, my, my luck, you know, it's luck of the draw. It's just, you know, being in the right time, in the right place, having the, the circumstances of uh, everything about whatever, you know, uh, I, I mean, some of it is fate or mystical or just, you know, whatever, you know, the planets were aligned. I don't know what what it is, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the luckiest person in the world that I get to have a Christmas song. There's streaming, obviously. Spotify streams the shit out of "All I Want for Christmas Is You," but it's not like the old days when you were selling records and yeah, radio plays it and there's your ra radio revenue. Um, but yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. My children all had, you know, wonderful educations, and I get to enjoy a certain quality of life 
that I'm extremely humble and grateful for. Um, so my my greatest joy is that it gives joy, and especially in this Christmas of 2020, um, yeah. mm. that that I get to be someone who puts a little bit of, uh, you know, Christmas cheer, uh, along with Mariah, of course, she's the one that puts Christmas cheer, but I, I, I had a hand in it. And it makes yeah. me very proud and very happy to know that, you know, during this horrible pandemic year and during this extraordinarily difficult time of just insane amount of hardship that it adds a little bit of hope and comfort to everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Walter, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us on this annual holiday episode of Songcraft. It's really cool to hear not only about uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, but some of the the many things that you've done in your career. And uh, it's inspiring. And we appreciate you sharing this time with us. I really appreciate it. And keep keep your thing going. I think it's really important to hear about all this kind of stuff. So I wish you guys the best of holidays, the safest of holidays, and an amazing, successful rest of your your endeavors. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.